Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Wednesday, August 31st, 2022, and today will be better than yesterday. Producing from the Schwink Studios is Taylor Schwink uh, in the foothills of Connecticut. Sarah Abbott's working from the Sarah Abbott Studios, and I'm Buster Olney. And guys, I'm working from... Uh, a parking lot of a McDonald's near Bristol. I'm like, I have this full schedule today. Got to take my dog to the vet, taking my car in for maintenance. And so I'm taping the podcast from a parking lot and hoping nobody raps on the window and like tries to kick me out of here. Buster, I love it when you were, you were born for the road, honestly. I feel like you are a true road warrior. So whenever we get one of these podcasts in the cars, it, it absolutely tickles me. Nice. Did you guys hear me just before we started? Did you hear the car alarm going off behind me? No, we didn't. I, w- I wish we did, though. It, you know, it's all, a little background noise is always good for the pod. Yeah, you know, we could have so. remixed it. <laughs> right, exactly. And applied it to like the White Sox or the Red Sox, maybe. Right? In the, <laughs> wow. In the, in the conversation coming up. All right. In Anaheim last night, Aaron Judge did this. High fly ball, deep right field. Ward back, turning, looking. See ya! Number 51, Aaron Judge, a three-run home run, and the Yankees lead 7-2. On their way to a victory. That was Michael Kay on the Yes Network. Yes, SportsCenter uh, asked me about writing a uh, an Aaron Judge piece in case he hits over 60 homers, and I'm thinking, Taylor, I better get on it. Like, I mean, the way he's moving <laughs> right now, I better get writing. You're run. You're officially running out of time, Buster. You're gonna have to pull over to another rest stop as you're driving to Montana to hash that thing out there. Get on it. <laughs> there you go. Uh, a lot of the news today is actually not good. The Astros placed Justin Verlander because of a cap issue on the 15-day injured list, and this was a a troubling scene before the Rays game last night. Shane McClanahan, the All-Star uh, left-hander, was warming up in the bullpen, and he was scratched. He appeared to be very emotional in the bullpen and the cameras that were on him. And he spoke to the reporters after the game, uh, indicated that he feels like it just didn't feel right, doesn't think it's necessarily a major deal. Based on body language, it's a concern. And for the Rays, who had so many injuries this year and they have such a thin margin for error, this is a really big deal. They faced the Marlins yesterday, and uh, the way the Marlins are going, that's almost a gimme. Drives one to center field. Back on it goes Burdick to the wall, and it's gone. Have a day, Jose Siri. He gives the Rays a 6-0 lead here in the seventh. That was Dave Will, 620 WDA. The Rays win 7-2. Jesse Chavez, veteran reliever, was claimed off waivers by the Atlanta Braves yesterday after being let go by the Angels. Like the third time the Braves have acquired in the last couple of years. Uh, he's someone who has value to them. They use him out of the bullpen filling in gaps and filling in innings at the moment for the Braves. It's not really going that well. They faced the Rockies yesterday. This is what happened in the top of the fourth. 2-1 Braves. Ilaris Montero hits it hard. This time it gets by Riley diving at third down into the corner. C.J. Crone's going to be waved in. He will score without a throw. RBI doubled by Ilaris Montero. And the game is tied at two. And that was from 850 KOA. The Rockies actually would score, and they would win 3-2. to two. That's three straight losses for the Braves. They're trying to catch the Mets, and the Mets played the first game of their showdown series uh, against the Los Angeles Dodgers at City Field last night. Gavin Lux broke a 1-1 tie in the top of the third. Pitch to Lux. He drives it into the left field, a base hit. Betts will score. Muncy being waved home. Here comes the throw. It's cut off by Walker. Muncy comes in to score, and Gavin Lux drives in two. And the Dodgers now with a 3-1 to one lead. Tim Never at AM 570 LA Sports. That wasn't the first time that Gavin Lux broke a tie. And this ball is hit in the center field. A base hit for Lux on a 3-2 pitch. He reached for it, knocks it into center. Freeman scores, and the Dodgers lead it 4-3. to three. After the Dodgers won 4-3, to three, Buck Showalter talked about Andrew Heaney throwing elevated fastballs to the Mets. We talk about it before the game. You know exactly what they're going to try to do. And, uh, you know, try to get on top of it. But he kept getting it in a spot. You know, sometimes there's one hitter where he just gets the ball in a spot where 
you know, Pete's got all that p potential power at his, in his hands, and, you know, it's hard to play off of that and get on top of it. But that's one reason why he's, you know, having such a good year for them is he's kind of uh, gotten into a position where he can uh, use that pitch a lot more than he has been able to in the past. You know, if he gets it there, just not on Pete. You know, he got it there on five or six of our hitters. Dodgers manager Dave Roberts announced that Clayton Kershaw will actually start the last game of this series against the Mets. He hasn't pitched since August 4th when he went out with a back issue. Chicago White Sox manager Tony La Russa, embattled in the market of Chicago, missed yesterday's game with an unspecified medical issue. Our Jesse Rogers was there at the ballpark last night. He'll fill you in on what he heard. For the White Sox, of course, a disastrous year, and that continued in yesterday's game. Fifth homer is a big leaguer. They swing the infield around to the right. Nick's going to swing. Hit it down the right field line, and that ball is gone. A two-home run night for Nick Prado, and the Royals lead it 4 to nothing. On their way to a 9-7 to victory, that from 6-10 KCSP. Taylor, what else you got? Buster, a couple things. If you missed Buster's segment with Tim Kirkshin yesterday, you should definitely listen to the podcast, but you can also watch it on ESPN's YouTube page. We do that every week. It's a lot of fun. Also, don't miss Hulu's Legacy, the true story of the L.A. Lakers featuring never-before-seen archival footage of Kobe Bryant and 120 new revealing interviews from players like Shaq, Magic, and Kareem. Watch this 10-part documentary series that chronicles the team's extraordinary story from the inside, streaming now on Hulu. Last thing, College Game Day podcast is up running. We've done a couple episodes. The new episode is out now as of uh, Wednesday morning. They're previewing all the Thursday night games. That's uh, Reese Davis and Pete Thamel with David Pollock on Wednesdays. And then Friday mornings is the big pick show. Week one, loaded slate of games. Reese, Pete, and Bill Connolly, our Sarah Langs, our uh, hembo over there, if you will. Check that out, the College Game Day podcast, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11 ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code BASEBALL. That's code baseball. Visit vividseats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats, experience it live. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, the clutch hits, the strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it. They won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Jesse Rogers covers baseball for ESPN. I got a chance to see Jesse the other day. Where were we in St. Louis, Jesse? We're sitting out of rain delay. I'm lying on a couch up in the press box. You're sitting there going through Eduardo uh, Perez's uh, scraps of chicken and, and fries. How are you doing? Doing great. Doing great. Just kind of waiting out the Pujols uh, march to 700 that night, right? And then it was a couple nights later, he hit that oppo shot to right field in Cincinnati, but uh, it's been fun to cover Pujols down the stretcher. You know, it's been a decade since I've been around Albert Pujols because he was out West. I'm in the Midwest. It's been a fun year covering him and the Cardinals as they kind of have this magical season with three players potentially retiring. I think they're retiring, Buster. Two of them are playing so well. I don't know about Wainwright and Pujols. Who knows? Maybe they'll come back. Yeah, uh, Albert said no matter what happens, he's definitely going to retire. And I want to ask you about him in a second. But I know uh, you were with the White Sox last night, and there's so much swirling around this team, even before what happened last night. Tell me, uh, tell me how this played out with Tony La Russa. Well, he seemed totally fine. Did his normal pregame routine. He talked with reporter was reporters, was on the field for batting practice. 
He spoke with the owner, Jerry Reinsdorf, Rick Hahn, the normal stuff you do before the game. As far as I know, it was normal. And then right before the end of batting practice, I actually pulled him aside and was talking to him about Albert Pulos, of course, one of Tony's favorite subjects. He gave me a couple of great quotes about him. Never seemed off at all. He welcomed Dave Stewart, one of his former players, to the field. They were in the dugout together. And then at about 5.30 or so, a little bit before that, they went down into the clubhouse. And it was only a half hour, 45 minutes later, the team announced that he wasn't going to be managing last night. They said due to health concerns, he's going through some tests today. Actually texted with Tony last night just saying, hey, hope everything's all right. He acknowledged my text, but didn't tell me what was up. So maybe he got some news before the game. Maybe he felt a little ill before the game and they wanted to hold him out and they're going to run these tests today. But uh, they went on to lose the game. It's just been an awful, awful season for them. Way, way underachieving for the White Sox. And now their manager um, is potentially ill in some manner. So we'll find out more today when they run those tests. Okay, before I ask you what you think is going to happen with LaRusa, separate, and I'm with you, you know, you sure. hope that he's okay health-wise. Uh, before I ask you about what it, uh, you think is going to happen with him, I want to ask you about uh, what the reaction in Chicago has been uh, with the media to LaRusa and the White Sox this year from the fan base um, and from the players. Tony LaRusa, for better or worse, and mostly worse for this season, has sucked up all the oxygen in Chicago, Buster. All of it. I told this story on the radio uh, a month ago or so. I was at a golf outing, and I stayed on the same tee to say hello to everybody that came through. 36 groups came through, Buster. And I asked them, you want to talk some Cubs? You want to talk some Sox? This was in Chicago. Every single group, and I am not exaggerating, that wanted to talk about the Sox, wanted to talk about Tony La Russa. They didn't ask me about a player. They didn't ask me about an injury, a series, a game. They said, is Tony La Russa going to be fired? Is Tony La Russa coming back? What's wrong with Tony La Russa? This is probably similar to uh, uh, calendar-wise, close to one of those one-two intentional walks he issued. So he was on the top of everyone. He has sucked up all the energy and focus, and most of it obviously negative for an underachieving team. I think he's done a good job trying to connect with players. I saw him on the field with Tim Anderson for a long time yesterday. Anderson's out with an injury. He's, he has talked with the leaders of this team often. He's stayed connected to those guys. I don't think that they think he's the big negative that the fans and everyone else thinks. I, I don't think he's necessarily showing up as that Hall of Fame guy with all these credentials and attributes for these players. I think he's just kind of a guy in the dugout to them. Um, that's the best I could say about him probably, but to everyone else, he has sucked up this negative energy and it's, I don't see how they move forward with him. but, uh, in terms of this year, he has been the focal point to everything negative about the White Sox. So what's your best read at this point as to what's going to happen? My best read is their two hitting coaches are in trouble. And I say that because that's a way to keep a lot of other things in place and blame a poor offensive performance on, on, on a couple of those guys that are, so, so to speak, behind the scenes in terms of what the public sees. I think Jerry Reinsdorf, the owner, and Tony La Russa, if he's healthy, could talk themselves into we had another injury-prone year, and we had one division-winning year, one underachieving year. Let's see what the third year brings. I do not think it's a fate complete. he's gone. That's a gut feeling. Um, he easily could be on his own terms, especially now if there's a health issue. He might say, look, I gave it a shot. I'm going to move on. But I think there's a chance that they could talk themselves into saying this is all about the injuries. Let's give it one more shot. But that is just a personal opinion, not necessarily any inside information, because there's only one person that knows two people, I guess, and that's Jerry and Tony, and they're not revealing anything right now. Yeah, I got asked about uh, Tony's situation a lot during the course of summer, and I would always go back to, um, you know, the same refrain, and that is that it doesn't matter what the fans think, the, you know, the, the groups of people going through and talking to you at the golf course. It doesn't matter what's said on talk radio. It doesn't matter what any columnist writes. It doesn't matter what Kenny Williams thinks. It doesn't matter what Rick Hahn thinks, you know, two people in their front office. The only person who matters in this conversation is Jerry Reinsdorf. And that's why, as I've thought about this, Jesse, since I saw you the other day, 
I thought that there's one person in the world who could talk uh, talk Jerry Reinsdorf into making a change, and that would be Tony Larusa going to him. If Tony believes that, saying, "Look, this is a really difficult situation. Your fans are clearly unhappy, uh, and I think this is something that you should do." And I'm not saying Tony should do that, but I kind of wonder if Tony's the only guy to do it. Um, and I do think that it's a legitimate question for Tony when the year ends, given how toxic the perception of, of this situation is, that he needs to consider having that conversation. Now, the last time I said something like that, Jesse, on air was when I, you know, in being interviewed for the Jeter documentary, I mentioned that I said I thought Derek in his last year owed it to the Yankees to go to Joe Girardi and say, look, if you need to move me down in the lineup, that's what you should do. Uh, and Derek, of course, said that was asinine. These guys are competitive. It's not their reflex. But I think in this case, this might be another example. Tony needs to assess his year ends. And if he can let Jerry, his good friend, off the hook, he needs to do it. Yeah, I, I can't disagree with you. I'm just not sure he's going to leave, walk away from the White Sox after this kind of season. He's the type that would walk away after a good season, not a bad one. He'll view that as quitting. And I don't know how he feels about legacy and all that. Yeah. But, look, he did win a division one year with the team, and now it's underachieved. There are personnel problems. It's not all on Tony. This is a nope. very, very right-handed team that has stopped hitting home runs, um, that has had a, a slew of injuries, which are not his fault. So, again, he could talk himself and his owner into, look, let's give this one more shot. So I'm not sure. He's ready to do what you say. Again, there could be some health issues here. Maybe it's, it's nothing, but it, it's a fascinating situation. What do the White Sox do in the offseason from personnel to in that dugout is going to be fascinating. Yeah, the question of what Tony LaRusso should say versus what he will say, given how competitive he is, two very different questions. Yeah. There's no yeah. doubt about that. And I, I, my instinct is with you. I don't think Tony would do that. Uh, which means that it's it is possible that we'll continue going forward because I I think you'll agree with me. It's interesting the perception of Jerry Reinsdorf among the players and folks in the player association is he's his major hawk. Uh, he's ready to go to to labor war. He's one of the first guys who's got the battle axe out. And the perception of him as an owner as a boss is that he's the most loyal boss that we've seen in professional sports. Yes. Yes, absolutely. There's no doubt about it. I mean, think about this team. Hasn't made a change. They're more underachieving than Phillies or even the Angels for that matter. You know, they haven't made one change to this underachieving season. And that's why I say these hitting coaches better be renting, not not buying, because they're the sacrificial. Something has to change. You can't fire 26 players, although they probably should change that over as well. Last thing, as far as the fans, look, you know this, Theo Epstein in Boston moved on from Grady Little, not because of one move, but because the fan base and the team could not move forward with Grady as manager. It should be the same thing here. It's hard to move forward as a fan base with this hanging over them, but I don't think Jerry Reinsdorf cares about that. All right. Uh, you mentioned Albert Pujols, uh, one of LaRusse's former players, and this run that he's been on, he's now six homers away from 700, and I've you know, said this on in radio interviews I've done about it recently. I, I when we had Ollie Marmol uh, in our pregame meeting before Sunday Night Baseball the other day, I asked him, you know, how big of a deal is this 700 home runs when you fill out your lineup? And I thought for sure I was going to get a lot of manager speak, which is well, uh, you know, we think about it, of course, but the focus is on winning the division, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. He didn't say that. He basically said, yeah, it's a big deal. And I do think they're going to work to get him playing time, and Albert's making that easier by taking advantage of, of uh, the opportunities he's getting, yes? Yeah, I, would have, I, I wonder what Oliver would have said if on Sunday when you talked to him, they were five behind Milwaukee instead of five right. ahead. Now they're six up. I've said from February and March, Derek Gould and I, the beat reporter down there, both agreed Cardinals are going to run away with this division at some point, and they are. I don't think September is going to be any different then August, I think they're going to be fine. And that's when you can play him against the righties as much as the lefties. He's got Mike Miner tonight. I think he goes deep tonight, Buster. It's Mike Miner, for God's sakes. That Oppo home run was great because everything in August has been to the pull side. So now all of a sudden, he's, he showed something to these pitchers that he'll go the other way if you're going to pitch him out there. 
So I think he's going to get it. And I like what Marmel said. And it's a lot easier to say it with a six game lead. By the way, I don't know if you heard, but Tim Kirkchin has, has, uh, followed through and answered in the affirmative a question, a bleacher tweet uh, from a listener, and he's agreed that if the Cardinals win the World Series, he's getting a lightning bolt put in his head and he's cut into his hairline, just like we saw with Adam Wainwright the other day. What do you well, think? Well, he, he should have said if Pujols gets to – well, no, I guess that's the right way. If he doesn't want the lightning bolt, I don't know if they're going to win the World Series. I thought he would have done it. If Pujols gets to 700, he should do it because that's more likely to happen – I will say, I, I do like this Cardinals storyline with the guys retiring. Um, I just wonder, a little bit like the Yankees at, at, at the rotation, it, it, I would love to have someone ahead of Wainwright. If, if Jack Flaherty comes back, and is the, I'd love to have someone even ahead of Garrett Cole, to be honest. Like, when you go to those short playoff series, boy, do the Mets look better than they even do now. You know, if you want to go into the Mets-Dodgers, like, yeah. you shorten the roster, boy, the Mets look as good as the Dodgers in a playoff series when you add in Adavino, Lugo, Diaz, because that's all you're going to need, right? Although I would love a lefty in that pen. And, and then Scherzer and, and DeGrom just keep pitching them. The Dodgers' bullpen's a little vulnerable. The Cardinals' rotation, the Yankees' rotation, a little vulnerable. Like, I think the Mets are really set up for a playoff series as much as anybody in baseball. Are you buying that? No, I think the Braves are pretty good. I think the Braves and the Dodgers are pretty good, and we'll get into the Dodgers with the, the issues that they've had. I do want to do one follow-up. You have yes, said go ahead. you know three potential guys retiring. Uh, you and I have disagreed on this one uh, for most of the season, I believe, and that is the question of whether Adam Wainwright comes back in 2023. I think it's close to a slam dunk he's going to because he's pitched well. And here's a big number for you. He's got 193 career wins. He's not going to get to 200 by the end of the, the regular season. I think between the fact he's pitching great, uh, the fact that he's probably a guy who could pick where he wants to pitch, and maybe that's his staying in St. Louis uh, and getting that 200, I, I think he's coming back. No? I, I'm more on your side than I've ever been all, all season long. Okay. I, talk, I talked to him recently. Certainly hinting a little bit more more than he was before. I lived through the 200-win thing with John Lester. It became a mission as he got closer. The moment he got there, retirement became on his mind. I I, I think you might be right. And Look, I talked to Justin Verlander recently. I think I mentioned this to you over the weekend. Like, these guys – now, look, the elimination of the shift will be interesting for these guys. But even so, these guys are so much smarter than hitters right now because of the information they have, I did, I, you might be right. He's having so much success. We saw him on Sunday night just mow through the Braves, a very good offensive team. Um, they're going to pitch until something changes offensively, in a way. Like, uh, until their stuff doesn't work or the, the information is wrong, I don't know. But they're having, at an older age, using their, their head as much as their arm to get hitters out. But like I said, you eliminate the shift. It'll be interesting how they go about it. You're probably more right than wrong that he that he is returning, and that is a major 180 from a year ago at this point. Because I felt then this was going to be his last year, and I think he felt that as well. He was already doing broadcasting last playoffs, Buster, in in anticipation. They're going to hold yeah, off. He's going to take somebody's job. He's going to yeah. take somebody's job when he retires in broadcasting. Yeah, There's exactly. no doubt. You know, he might be the uh, best broadcaster. Uh, you know, in in baseball right now. Uh, given yeah. all of his talents, we were joking. I think Carl Rabbit said, "Is there anything he can't do well?" Uh, you know that's for sure. Uh, last night we had the first game of the Dodgers and Mets series. You've already answered my question. You think the yeah. Mets potentially are as good or better than any team in baseball? I didn't think that you know a month or two months ago, but then as we start to think of short series, okay, they've got to have a third starter. But we we, we start out with pretty two good two good ones if they're healthy. And then, like I said, the, uh, I've seen playoff series, playoff years where, you know, Brandon Morrow pitched in all seven games of the World Series. You don't need five relievers. You need three or four. And what I'm seeing out of Adovino, Lugo, and Diaz might be enough in a five game for sure. So I'm loving – they get better in a short playoff series. And there's a lot of teams that their depth over 162 gets minimized a little bit in a, in a short series. So, yes, I think the Mets – are as good as anybody in a short series. Maybe not better than Houston or the Dodgers, but just as good. And I think that's interesting as you think about best of five or even best of seven. 
Yeah, Dodgers win the first game of the series last night, uh, and that meant that Edwin Diaz uh, did not have an opportunity to pitch. I wanted to ask you about this. Timmy Trumpet was on hand, the Australian-born musician who uh, uh, generated the, uh, the music that is played when Edwin Diaz comes into games, and because there was no save opportunities, he couldn't play it live. Um, he will possibly tonight, who knows, sometime later in the week. Either way, Jesse, I think this has become the most anticipated uh, walk-up situation for any uh, pitcher in baseball, any reliever. And I covered Mariano Rivera when they played uh, Enter Sandman. I uh, you know, was covering the Padres when Trevor Hoffman became their closer. They would play Hell's Bells. I, I, I think this has surpassed everything we've seen. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, you probably know more about all that history than I do. I, 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 this is what I love about it. It's reminding me of winter league balls type of yes. antics, you know? And, and how many players have said Hockey. we – Yeah. Reminds uh, me of the NHL. Yeah, a little bit. We, how many players have said we need more of that fun, that anticipation, that the music, this and that? So, yeah, it's got that feel to it. I think he's going to play tonight one way or another. By the way, I mean – the Mets let the uh, let Heaney off the hook in that first inning. Buck Showalter, of all people, one-two count, lefty on the mound. Why is he running? Francisco Lindor took the just destroyed that inning, and then of course they lose by a run there. And and Jake Reed is getting a save, Buster. I don't know about this Dodgers bullpen. I know Kimbrough had been used yesterday, but Kimbrough has the day before hasn't been great. Um, but I think walk-up music for closers should be a thing in every ballpark. And, and it is in some, like you get, but it really should be a light show, the music, live music, if you can do it. Maybe that's a, that becomes a thing for closers. You have a, a live musician just for them to play their song oh. and you get the lights going and you get a little bit of a winter, winter ball feel to it. Yeah, I remember when I went to a Nashville's Predators game, I want to say three, four years ago with my son, the atmosphere and that sense of anticipation was so extraordinary. And I actually reached out to people in baseball, like, have you been to one of these Predator games? Because there's that great feel and the interaction between what's going on, uh, uh, you know, on the field or in the ice uh, and the fans in a way that I hadn't seen. So this is cool that we're going to get this. And, uh, yeah, I, 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 I hope that everybody, you know, really builds on that. I want to ask you about, a couple of injury developments we've seen in baseball and get your sense of how significant you think these are. Uh, yesterday, the uh, Shane McClanahan, of course, one of the best starter starting pitchers in the American League and a top candidate for American League Cy Young Award, uh, was in the bullpen, and they scratched him because of what they said was a shoulder impingement. And McClanahan told reporters he hopes this isn't a big deal. Uh, he doesn't anticipate it's going to be a big deal. I watched the video of his interaction with Kevin Cash, his manager, when he was scratched. And you see McClanahan, very emotional, Jesse. And I I don't know if I'm taking uh, McClanahan's uh, explanation at face value, not because he's lying or anything like that, but maybe because he just is hoping for good news yeah. when yeah. they probably have a sense that it's not good news, whatever's going on his shoulder. Yeah, I think they took the hopeful tact. I listened to Kevin Cash afterwards. It was kind of like, wishful thinking. Um, you, if you saw the video of him warming up in the bullpen and then stopping, he looked very emotional in that moment. And, and players know their bodies better than anyone. And, yep. you know, he was in tears, it looked like. Um, so I'm with you. I think it's hopeful thinking, but we can't say for sure. Big blow. I mean, they're only seven out only. You know, I when, when, they, when a team gets – there was a huge win by the Yankees last night because when a team gets to six, Buster, that six is my number. You're in the race at six. You're out at seven. So right now they're only seven out. That's a big blow. Um, look, these injuries, Verlander, as we get to September, it's a little scary. Now, if it was two weeks from now, it would be really scary. You have time to come back and get ready. McLennan, McLennan does. But I still worry that this is longer than just a, a you know one turn through the rotation thing. We have to wait and see, though. All right, you jumped the information on Verlander. I was going to tee you up with that <laughs> sorry, one. Sorry, sorry, sorry. MRI that was done on Verlander's calf revealed, according to the Astros, uh, fascial disruption, but no muscle fiber disruption, the team said. And when I, I read that, look, I you know my daughter's 22, my son is 18. I've heard a lot of explanations. 
Uh, and I always felt like the more detail they give you sometimes, maybe they're trying, to, you know, to hide big news. Uh, I, I, I'm with you. I, whatever they told me, my feeling was it's early September. It's going to be on, on Thursday and he's not going to be pitching. And with the playoffs looming, that potentially is a huge deal. Yeah. Um, I, I, I was interested when the teams that traded starting pitchers and I know Jake Odorizzi isn't this a Cy Young candidate, but he pitched great Sunday night. The, the, the Yankees trade Jordan Montgomery. Both now those, these teams have had injuries. It's scary when you trade a starter. Now, Houston has plenty of starting pitching behind Verlander, but it changes the dynamic in a yep. big way if he's not your ace. And you got to move up whoever, Fran Valdez or, uh, or uh, Javi or whatever. But, yeah, I, it's, I think he'll be back, but it's like, is, will, be, will he be a sharp if he only gets one start or two starts at most? I think he'll be back, though. Um, I, boy, you'd have to just tear the tear, you know, tear him off the mound, tear the jersey off him to get him not to pitch in October this year. He has had a hell of a year. Uh, but, again, wait-and-see approach. little nervous, though. It's September, and, and two guys, McLennan and, and Verlander, both on the shelf as we start this month. So, yeah, I think it, it takes a notch out of both those guys, both those teams as we head to the final month. 60 seconds. Yeah. Uh, give me, forget the power rankings. Give me the teams that you believe, based on what you've seen at this moment, can win the World Series. And it's a short list. Tell me the yeah. teams you think can win the World Series. Uh, and before you, uh, you give yours, I'll give mine. Dodgers, Mets, Braves, Cardinals, Astros, Yankees. Yeah, I mean, it'd be hard to differ from that. I, uh, the AL Central teams, no chance. Milwaukee has no chance. San Diego has no chance. I'm sort of a, I'm sort of agreeing with you. Um, I think that's the list right there. You put the Cardinals in there too, though. Like, uh, I yeah, I do, I do. I've liked them all year, but I, they'd be a, a clear underdog. I don't love the Yankees, though. I don't love the Yankees. No, I agree. Yankees were kind of touch and go for me to put them on that list. With Verlander, I love the Astros. I love yeah. the balance of the lineup. I love the balance of the pitching staff. I love Houston. I don't think Seattle's ready. I don't think the AL Central is ready. I think you hit on the, the teams. Um, and, yeah, I, I throw the Cardinals in there. Be a major underdog, though. I, I, I just wonder if they have enough. I love someone ahead of Wainwright, like I said. Um, but, man, the Braves, if the Braves are hitting homers, they got a shot. If, if they're not, they're out. So Braves are a one-trick pony, but it worked last offseason. That's why I love Houston. There's so much balance, so many different ways they can win a baseball game. Yep. All right, Jesse. Uh, Thanks for doing this. Great to see you the other day. You got it, Buster. Same to you. Talk to you soon. Dogs are an important part of our lives, and keeping them protected is a top priority, especially against nasty parasites. That's why you got to check out NexGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NexGuard Plus chews provide one-and-done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease, plus... It treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef-flavored soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NextGuard Plus Chews. They're the one-and-done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting preventive. We're driven by the search for better. When it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Buster. 
Just go to Indeed.com slash Buster right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Buster. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With Aaron Judge having a monster season, I had a chance recently to ask Red Sox catcher Kevin Plowecki about how Judge has taken his game to the next level as a hitter. Give a listen to this interview I did with Kevin Ploiecki in the Red Sox clubhouse. Guys, what's changed from previous years when he was obviously still great, but this year it's ridiculous. I'm sure you've seen the last month. He's got a slugging percentage of 1,000. Yeah, he's not missing. <laughs> he's, not, he's not missing. You've got to be perfect with, with every pitch. and uh, You know, by perfect, I, I don't necessarily mean like... Uh, the pitch has to be perfect, but also like you know, kind of setting up the pitch as well, you know, because he seems to have, you know, I've noticed lately he's starting his, and maybe, maybe it's not, maybe I've just you know seen him the other night. He started his load a lot earlier, and I think he's just kind of you know in that position, ready to ready to hit for that mistake, ready ready for that mistake when it's when it's there, and so that's why it's you know sort so important for for pitchers in general just to. Um, you know, make good quality pitches on him, and, and, uh, and yeah, and hopefully he, you know, misses it. <laughs> What's changed about game planning for him this year? Uh, he's gotten a lot better hitting the, hitting the ball in, uh, up and in especially. Uh, you saw him hit the homer the other night with Nate. Um, you know, used to used to be able to kind of just pound the top of the zone with him in a sense. Um, not that he would never get to it, um, you know, but he's definitely, I feel like. Covering a lot more, uh, a lot more of the zone, uh, you know, where it comes to, to holes and stuff like that. It kind of comes with just kind of setting certain things up. You got to kind of keep them guessing. You know, doing some different things that you might not normally do. You know, um, and, and there's no rhyme or reason to it. You know, he's just he's a good player. You got to respect it. You got to respect what he's doing. And, and um, you know, he's got to make your pitches to him. And, and like I said, I think he's really done a good job covering that fastball in. And, and, and you know being worried about that ball at the top of the field. You see these get the highest OPS now against breaking stuff as well as fastballs? It surprised me. Yeah, yeah. No, I, like I said, he's he's, uh, he's he's ready to hit. You know, he's ready to hit, but he also lays off some pitches too that are, I feel like are, are pretty close that are obviously balls. He's like, you know, he's just, he's locked in, you know, to say the least, he's locked in. And, um, you know, it's... It's been crazy to see what he's been doing this year, to say the least. What's his demeanor in the box, like as a catcher? Oh, crazy. Does he ever talk to you? Yeah, just as, you know, comes in, have a day, Kevin. You know, it's he's great. I, I haven't t- talked to him too much outside of you know him just coming to the bat, but you can tell by you know his you know demeanor and you know, the way he carries himself. He's a, he's a true pro. And, and, uh, Does he ever go back and forth during the plate appearances with you, in terms of like Vado, as you know? Mm-hmm. Votto, I've heard stories about how he would yeah, the yeah, would yeah. go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He can oh, talk. He, you know, he, he can kind of get talk as the bat goes on, but no, um, Judge isn't like that. Um, you know, but he's, you know, he's locked in. And, yeah, I, I don't really <laughs> talk to a whole bunch of people back there unless it's a uh, first step back coming up, and you know, unless it's somebody I really know or have kind of a relationship with. Uh, yeah. you know, over the years. So. Does he ever? I mean, what's I? I asked him last year about his reaction on borderline pitches. He doesn't complain. He doesn't. He doesn't. Um, no, he doesn't. He plays the game the right way. You know, he plays the game the right way. And, um, you know, it's fun going up against him. You know, it's a challenge on, on my end. It's a challenge on our end. Uh, you know, what he's been doing to him is just crazy. Um, but it's fun, right? It's, you want to go against the best, and, and he does. He, you go against the best, and do it the right way. And he's, you know, one of those that is one of the best and, and does it the right way. You know, and... and uh, Todd Radom is the chief executive of our weekly quiz. He's a graphic artist whose work can be seen on ball fields all across America, all around the world, or you can go to his website, toddradom.com. Uh Todd, uh, how you doing this week? I'm doing pretty well, Buster. How are you? I'm doing great. I just want to take a moment. You know, every week uh, as we get ready for the Phantom franchise part of your uh uh, appearance on the show, I get to read through the history that you send and something you're going to present. And today you're going to be talking about the Denver Pirates. But man, you have done such a great job with this this week. 
Uh, and I'm curious about your process in putting together all this information for the fan of franchises that you've done every week. Well, I appreciate that, Buster. And basically what happened was uh, we agreed to this particular topic uh, sometime in the winter. Uh, and I started doing research. And there are some potential franchise moves that come to immediate mind because they're within our our collective memory. Uh, but then you start to go down the rabbit hole into research and utilizing the always great newspapers.com and finding the fact that the Boston Braves were looking to move to Montreal in the 1930s. Well, uh, looking at January, February, 1935, what was the story with this? So basically like so many research assignments, one thing leads to another, your mind kind of goes into these places that you never imagine them going and you look at larger things. And that's one of the, um, one of the subtopics for today. Uh, and then what's going to happen is I kind of distill this down into bite-sized pieces, a couple of paragraphs for the purposes of this presentation. And here we go. We're going to have um, somewhere on the order of 30 of these when we're all said and done. Yeah. I always feel like uh, every year when you put together uh you know, your theme for the year that you, it's almost like you're generating a book. Like if you wanted to, you could do a fan and franchise book. Um, yes. You know, yep. that it's that thorough, the information that you got. And I, I just want to say, I just love it every week. Well, I appreciate that Buster. And that's it. It's kind of like uh, 30 little chapters to a small book that someday could be extended, but first things first. Yeah. Sarah Taylor, you guys want to chime in too? That Todd's a beautiful human, and he's <laughs> does an amazing <laughs> job with these. I mean, I I, went, I got out of bed thinking that this morning. Let's you know, but Todd and I have yeah, a special we're, relationship. We're really lucky, Sarah. <laughs> it's true. It's true. We are. Of course, I second everything Taylor said. Wait, but not me. Thanks a lot, Sarah. Well, I'm ready to beat you in this week's quiz after we get the fan of franchise. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so here we go, Buster and all. The Pittsburgh Pirates were afflicted by a sea of troubles in 1985. Pittsburgh's economy was in deep trouble, its population was declining, and its baseball fans were very, very unhappy. Mets first baseman Keith Hernandez called Three River Stadium, quote, a morgue. Bucks third baseman Bill Matlock told Sports Illustrated, you don't mind getting booed on the road, but it really hurts at home. The other day, infielder Jim Morrison got hit by a pitch, and the fans cheered. Morrison himself called the fans, quote, miserable people in comments to the New York Times, adding, this is a miserable environment to play baseball. There were 31,000 fans here today and 26,000 were booing for the Cubs or excuse me, rooting for the Cubs and 5,000 were cheering for us. My opinion is that it's time for the team to move. This club was awful and it was bleeding money. Attendance was abysmal. And then there were the Pittsburgh drug trials, which involved cocaine use by a bunch of major league players, including several Pirates and even the team's mascot, the Pirates Parrot. In June 1985, Pirates owner Dan Galbraith told the Denver Post that he would soon begin talks on a possible sale of the club to a Denver group who would move the club out of the Steel City, its home since 1887. That group, the owners of the minor league Denver Zephyrs, they were ready to bring Major League Baseball to Mile High Stadium, which had drawn 70,000 fans to two exhibition games that spring. The Pirates were bound by a lease that called for them to play at Three River Stadium through the 2011 season, and Pittsburgh city officials dug in for a fight. MLB Commissioner Peter Uberoff publicly stated that he would not approve a sale that included a move. Negotiations commenced with a group of civic-minded Pittsburgh individuals and corporations, which included Westinghouse, U.S. Steel Corporation, Mellon Bank, and Carnegie Mellon University. They agreed to buy the club in October 1985, thus saving the team for Pittsburgh. Denver obtained an expansion franchise, the Rockies, who would begin play in 1993. But today, Buster, we contemplate a world which might have included the Denver Pirates, who are this week's phantom franchise. As always, fascinating history, but I did get stuck with the image of a professional mascot doing cocaine. Can you imagine how much TMZ would pay for security cam video in 2022 of a mascot doing cocaine behind the scenes at a ballpark, Todd? 
I can't even imagine. And Buster, you probably recall this whole, you know, the scandal, right? Very large scandal. Uh, and it, it, uh, it, it dug down into a, affected a lot of a number of clubs. But the idea of the pirate parrot being involved with this, even then was shocking. Today, uh, the, the delivery would be unimaginable. Yeah, I really hope that he, t- he at least took the mascot uniform off the costume off before he was doing something that, that, yeah. Uh, the visual of that in my mind is like, Holy crow. Anyway, uh, let's get to this week's quiz. Well, this is actually perfect. It's a great segue because this is a mascot question. So as a reminder, Buster with 10, Sarah with six and Taylor with five here. So time to make it happen. September is looming. One of these was never an official mascot for the New York Mets. Was it a lady Met? Was it B, a live beagle named Homer? Was it C, a subway conductor cat named Casey? Or was it D, a live mule named Metal? Never an official Mets mascot. Lady Met, a beagle named Homer, a subway conductor cat named Casey, or a live mule named Metal? Wow. Uh, Taylor, I'll let you go first. I, for one, am really excited about which of these Todd made up himself. I'm going to go with the uh, the conductor cat, which I am. I want to be real, but I'm also hoping it's not. Yeah, that's what I think. Sarah, what do you got? I was thinking that, too, but we can't all do the same one. No, so we can't. Do- we could all go down in flames, potentially, <laughs> and Todd would do an evil laugh. I'm going to do the mule. I'll do the mule. Sarah, you are wrong. There actually was a live mule in 1979 named Metal, who kind of replaced Mr. Met for a while. I'm going to leave you guys hanging for a second. Uh, The Mets featured a live beagle named Homer, who was perched behind a home plate at the polo grounds in 1962. There was a lady Met before there was Mrs. Met. But a subway conductor cat named Casey, uh uh-uh, never happened. So Buster and Taylor are correct. Awesome. That's great. You can still do an evil laugh if you want, Todd. How's that? This is heartbreaking. This is heartbreaking for me. Taylor and I are now tied. I had such a lead on him. This is really a dark day. We know that September is when the magic happens, Sarah. One way or another, this is where the pretenders and the contenders, they start to peel away from one another. So it's your time to shine. Yeah, I need to get back to trusting my gut, trusting my instinct. <laughs> exactly. All right. Todd, thank you so much for uh, what you did this week and what you do every week. Thank you so much. Good to see you guys. Bleacher Tweets. All righty, Buster. Bleacher Tweets for a Wednesday. Bleacher Tweets are brought to you by Dr. Pepper. It ain't college football season without the delicious taste of an ice cold Dr. Pepper, the one fans deserve. First up is Van City Red Sox fan at DJ Beef Thief. Uh, DJ Beef Thief writes, and is it safe to say after Pujols hits home run number 700 that no one else ever will? I don't know if I'm as confident saying that as I am saying that after Verlander, potentially no one will ever win 300 games uh, because the way starting pitchers are being used is so different than the way it has been in the past with with hitters. It feels like that there ebbs and flows to it. Um you know, it'll be very interesting to see how the game changes if, in fact, the shifts are banned next year and whether or not that might help guys in their approach at the plate and, and whether that will lead to more home runs. I'm not ready to say no. What about you? Mm, yeah, not ready to say no. It seems more obtainable than that 300 win mark that you yep. mentioned before. I agree. Corey Rukert at Corey R underscore 12 writes in, is it a lock for Pujols to get to 700 with 18 games versus the Reds, Cubs, and Pirates left? Those teams should be throwing him very hittable balls, right? I will say this, uh, and I've seen guys in these sort of chases. I covered Cal Ripken when he uh, you know, broke Lou Gehrig's record. There are definitely pitchers who become, more. let me just put it this way, more aggressively in the zone than they were before. That there, I do think there's... Some opposing players begin to feel an obligation of, you know what? I'm going to pitch to him. I'm not going to pitch around him. I'm not going to nibble. I'm not going to walk him. This guy's a legend. Uh, I'm not going to throw a meatball to him, but I'm also going to challenge him. I think that's going to give him a better chance. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. 
Let's uh, last one for today. Reggie, baseball, Yoda weather, writes in Buster, which teams will have the longest ride down Bitter Boulevard of Broken Dreams. Reggie really adding on to Bitter Boulevard there. So he's given us basically all the fringe playoff teams here. So first, the AL teams, the Blue Jays, Mariners, Rays, Orioles, the NL teams, Padres, Phillies, Brewers, and then a special, special pair of AL teams, the Red Sox and the White Sox. So you've got three different pods there. Yeah, I think that uh, this year, and, and, and you know, be interesting to see, Sarah, if you agree with me, uh, the Red Sox and White Sox, I think that Bitter Boulevard might be renamed Sox Boulevard based on what we've seen in 2022. What do you think? I will gladly give up Bitter Boulevard for them. <laughs> <laughs> and also, I mean, like, Bitter yeah, Boulevard. I, I checked of- the sign under, Sarah, I checked the sign under where it says Sarah uh, Abbott Studios, and it's it's just papered over, and above that, uh, below that, it had been Bitter Boulevard. I'm going to add a Broken Dreams. That adds such a layer to it. Like, that's such a dagger. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Uh, Taylor, what do you think? Yeah. Sox uh, Boulevard? Mm, I'm going to go White Sox Bitter Boulevard, because I, I just wow. feel like it's... You got the Tony La Russa thing, you know, all the injuries, but how sure can we be that it was injuries that derailed this season? Like they're going to have to turn over the roster. I'm going to, I'm going to lean White Sox. It's going to be a little more complicated for them. Okay. Well then you're not listening to Boston talk radio. That's all I'm going to say. Oh, I'm sure they're (laughs) apoplectic out of the NL teams. Probably Brewers, but maybe Phillies. Maybe the Phillies will derail themselves. And then the AL teams. Phillies are going to make the playoffs. No, there's, I don't see, I don't see as, you know, I don't see a National League team where they're going down totally bitter boulevard. Maybe the closest because the Giants just being around that team. Mm. I don't. I, I, yeah, they took a big step back. I don't see massive disappointment. Maybe the Marlins like the oh. Marlins. We thought we we're going to take a big step forward this year. And instead, you know, a lot of stuff swirling around the future of the team. Are they going to be sold, et cetera, et cetera. So they would be the closest thing, I think, because I don't think anybody expect anything out of the Cubs, Pirates, Reds. No, I, you mm-hmm. know, and the Brewers are a small market team. Is there a huge expectation for them? No, not really. And the Marlins have been god awful lately. They, yeah, been they really watch. have been. Yeah. All right. That does it for Bleacher Tweets. Hashtag Bleacher Tweets on Twitter. While you're watching games, we will be back Friday. That's it for today. My thanks to Jesse, Todd, Sarah, Taylor, Kevin Ploiecki. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And rem- remember, hate and equality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply.